0: Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, one thing that we need to know in our covenant life, we confess, is how great our sins and misery are. Kind of sounds like a black cloud to darken an otherwise sunny day. and Sometimes people find it tiring to Spend time reflecting upon their sins and their misery. We ask why is it necessary to to keep on paying attention to that? Well, in the first place, this struggle against sin it is a fact of our existence. We cannot deny it just like we cannot deny gravity. And that's a fact of the existence of unbelievers and believers alike. In the second place, it is a blessing to know where our misery, suffering, comes from. We can't just blame other things and and other people for our misery. We can't just point the finger at financial difficulties or the government or the economy or, or problems with our family. Because with the law in our hands, we know that we all have sins in our hearts. The cause of misery is this rebellion before a holy, holy, holy God. In the third place, knowing our problem helps us to look for the answer, the solution in the right place. If a person only ever explains their misery, their suffering away with a, a fill in the blank victim clause, in the end, he or she will never find the correct solution for his most fundamental need, the solution that is only found in God. And so, the comfort that we confess, the comfort of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that God does not leave us in the dark. He explains to us who we are and where we are. He paints the picture in such a way that even even a young child can understand. Because he has given us his law, we are able to realize who we really are. And by God's grace, we have what we need to live and die in the joy of God. Of the comfort of the gospel, I preach to you the gospel of Jesus Christ under this theme: God gave us His law; now we know our sins and misery. We'll see that God's law requires perfect obedience, and secondly, that God's law reveals imperfect sinners. The catechism, as we know very well, it's a very personal confession. It's a confession that uses the word "I" and "me" and "you." And that's the first question. It says, from where do you know your sins and misery? What do you, and you could put your name here, what do I, you can think, what do I use as a source for knowledge about my situation? And the answer for Christians is that we know about our sins and misery from the law of God. Not just from hearing the law on Sundays, not just from knowing where to, to find it in, in the Bible or maybe on our, on our phones. But as Psalm 1 says, by meditating on the law day and night. We sang Psalm 119 seven times a day to go to the Lord. We sang that this morning. We learn about our sins and misery when we, we have his law on our lips all the time. In Deuteronomy 6, the Lord shows us that his children will talk about the law of the Lord often. And you notice Psalm Deuteronomy 6 doesn't say, uh, make sure your children hear the reading of the Ten Commandments every Sunday, and that's enough. We know very well. It says, talk about it when you're walking on the way, when you sit down. Keep it on your hands, so when you do things, that law is with you. Keep it on your forehead so when people see you too, they can see that. It's a part of who we are. Put it on the door frames of your houses so, so it goes with you when you go out to work, when you come in. The law teaches us when we are actually comparing our lives with the law of God, when it, when it accompanies us, when we are thinking about what it looks like in our day-to-day activities. James says in, in James chapter 1, verses 23 to 25, James 1, 23 to 25, it says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed. And then we have that reference to Psalm 1 in his doing. The very nature of God's law is instruction. The word Torah means instruction. Torah is the Hebrew word for law. It's instruction from our Heavenly Father that He gives to His children to show us how to live before Him in the world that He made. It's a guide, even after Jesus Christ fulfilled it. We sing about that in Psalm 19. You, maybe you didn't pay attention to your words but that you were singing, but it's telling us it makes us wise. They cheer and brighten. Help us as we live our lives. In Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 to 3, God makes clear that He gave this law to His people so that they may live actively interacting with that law with thanksgiving. It's like a manual prepared by the Creator. So, what is it that God commands? That's the question we confess and. We confess the Lord teaches us this in a summary in Matthew 22. He says, if a man loves God and loves his neighbor as himself, he will obey the law perfectly. Sadly, many people do not understand the depth of Jesus' summary. Think about what he is saying. Many people, they hear the summary and they quickly conclude, they say, exactly, it isn't too difficult at all. Just love God and your neighbor. Don't worry about all the little stuff like the style of worship or, or proper conduct on the Lord's Day or, or how you do your work or how you treat people around you. Don't condemn me for differences in my behavior because I love God. And Jesus said that is enough. And so rather than submitting to God's perfect requirements and His law, We see that many people fit their own desires into a new and a foreign interpretation of Jesus' summary that we just need to love. And so what happens? People look to themselves, they say, I love God, I love people, I'm doing fine. They justify themselves by changing what Jesus was saying, and they never come to see their own sins and misery they dim the light of Jesus' summary so that they can stay blind and they begin to believe in the value of their own works. But Jesus' summary doesn't make it easier. It doesn't make the Ten Commandments easier so that we can save ourselves. But it makes it all the more clear how impossible it is for sinners to keep the law. Jesus' summary teaches us that God demands absolute perfection from the heart in all our relationships. If you look at Matthew 22, that's the context of this summary. Jesus' enemies are there. They're asking him several questions in an attempt to trip him up And in this context, an expert in the law, and we can imagine some some man that really feels proud of himself. He knows all the details. He walks up, maybe with a little smirk on his his face, and he asks a question that had been debated uh, for a long time. He says, teacher, which is the greatest command in the law? The problem is that if Jesus picked one law over the rest then he wasn't keeping the whole law. But if he didn't answer, he would show that he isn't actually that great of a teacher after all. But the answer that the Lord Jesus gives is beautiful in its simplicity, biblical, and everlasting in its significance. You can notice from the proof text and the catechism that that summary actually brings together two Old Testament statements that God made. And then Jesus shows how that applies to every situation in our life. In this way, the Lord Jesus, on the one hand, maintains the letter of the whole law. And at the same time, he teaches how a person ought to live while fulfilling the whole law. First, the Lord Jesus refers to Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, where we read, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words summarize the first four and the tenth commandment, teaching us that a person must entrust himself completely to God. The heart is the center of all your your being, of your desires. Your soul is a reference to your character, to your perspectives. Your might refers to all your activities. The Lord Jesus teaches us that we must love God with all that we are, that all that we have, so that everything we do and everything we think is done for the glory of God. God's law requires us to think what he thinks To love what he loves, to live in harmony with him, and all love and all respect. Yes, Jesus answers that expert in the law by saying we must have a perfect relationship with God, perfect obedience. And then our Lord Jesus continues his instruction and he also quotes a part of Leviticus 19 verse 18. Leviticus 19 verse 18 says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. With these words, these few words, the Lord Jesus summarizes the fifth to the ninth commandment. So he covers all the ten commandments now. And these commandments teach us not to do or to say anything that may hurt our neighbor, the people around us, not even to have a hateful thought against them. Love God and love your neighbor. It's the summary of the law, as Paul says in Romans 13, verse 10. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And Jesus summarizes the law. He brings the light of the law into our presence and he says, be perfect. Just as my heavenly father is perfect. That's what the law teaches. On this law, we meditate. When we look at that law, we see the holiness and the perfection and the justice of our God. And we also see that we are imperfect sinners. Sometimes we show up in a place and we realize that we stand out. Maybe we didn't get the memo about the dress code and everybody was dressed up and we're not. Or maybe you can imagine a situation children can imagine too. Sometimes there's a, a car accident Imagine a car flips over on the side of the road and, and a person climbs out of the car. Maybe it's you. You're, you're alive, but you're bleeding. And your clothes are all ripped up and, and full of mud and broken glass. Well, you need to get home. And now this wouldn't be a child. This would be an adult. So you put up your thumb and you try to hitchhike home. A child shouldn't do that. And as you're waiting, the first car that stops is a brand new white Jaguar, fancy, luxurious car with an immaculate white leather interior with spotless floors. And the car comes, it sees you standing there, and and the car stops, and you look at this beautiful, shining white car. And then you look down. yourself and you feel it and you know it. I am filthy. I am dirty. If even a, a tiny bit of dust would fall on the car, we would notice that because that contrast is so great. How much more me with all this blood and, and mud wouldn't even help to take off my clothes. I'm, I'm bleeding everywhere. I can't even come near this car without, without making it dirty. You stand out because of your dirtiness. Because of the contrast. The same thing happens when we we pause and we meditate on the perfect law of God. Not just on Sundays, but every day as we think about that law. The law of God is like a shiny new white car and we are like bleeding, dirty, dirty injured people. Jeremiah says, with, with wounds from the head, from our top of our head to the soles of our feet. And we, standing before the law with our thumbs out on the journey of life, are, are given a very clear sense of our own dirtiness. Well, we confess that this understanding is necessary so that we may truly understand the grace of God, our only comfort in life and death. It is necessary. And the question is do you meditate on this law often? Or how about even just in church? How, how do you prepare yourself for that? Because we confess it is necessary. And that is an empty confession, a lie. If we don't prepare ourselves to to hear the law, or if we think about other things when the law is being read or even discussed as, as friends, sometimes our minds are already thinking about lunch and what our friends are doing, or maybe the game we watched last night. Sometimes we listen and we actually feel a little proud about the sins we have not committed. I haven't murdered. Haven't slept with anyone outside of marriage, actually here in church. Haven't stolen anything. Maybe uh, the guy in the other row should listen a little carefully, more carefully. So, what's actually happening when the law of God is being read? Well, at that moment, God is letting his perfection. Be seen in our midst. It's like a a plumb line beside a a leaning wall. That's using the imagery that the prophet Amos used. Compared the law coming in to to a construction person putting a plumb line down, which is a a weight on a string to see how straight something is, and puts it down in the middle of us, and we can see how we relate to that plumb line. As God's servant reads the law, God is letting his, his glory shine in our midst like the sun. And it shows a pile of refuse, dung, the light compared to our lives makes us realize that the height, the glory of the holiness of God, the standards and the norms of a perfect, wonderful creator. When the law comes, we, we can hear a God remind us that this is how he made us to be. These are the expectations that he has on, of our hearts. Compare your life with this. Oh and you could put your own name there compare your life with this so that you can see how you are doing on your own strength and so the law stands it reflects the truth about ourselves back to us like a mirror and we could see how dirty we look when we cling to our sins how far off course we have wandered how rebellious. The law confirms that by nature we are inclined by God to inclined by nature to hate God and our neighbor. The law teaches us to confess my own strength I don't love the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind or might. I don't love my neighbor as myself. Lord, I am a sinner. What kind of person do you see when you look into the mirror of God's law? Does the law convict you of sin? Or have you managed to tune it out? Are you still able or are you able to see what you are really like? The eyes of a holy God. And brothers and sisters, we all have to fight against our pride. That pride that is always trying to to make us look a little better than we really are. It's that pride that tries to find something in ourselves so that we don't have to be so dependent, so weak, so completely dependent on God. And so many people say, they grumble. Why do we always read the law? So focused on the law. They try to convince a church to stop reading it. If they can't do that, they find other ways to escape the full weight of God's declaration. Sometimes we tend to change the point of comparison. Well, since I look bad beside that nice, white, clean car, I'll just go stand beside a rusty, old, dirty car. Since the law makes me look like such a sinner, I'll compare myself to something else. And do you know what? It always makes us look a little better. It's like using trick mirrors to make yourself look a little thinner or taller. Or like using an airbrush to remove the wrinkles and the spots that show up on your pictures. What kind of norms and standards do we often use as we flee the the weight of the law and try to compare ourselves with others? Well, maybe it's your emotions and you think, wow, God can say what he wants, but I'm not that bad. I, I know I'm not that bad. I did the best I could. I tried. God should be happy with that. Sometimes we compare ourselves to other sinners compared to, to so-and-so. I'm living a much better life. You can always find somebody a little worse than you. And so we think that we are protecting our dignity. But we are only fooling ourselves. We only are believing a lie, maybe we're fooling a few people around us. But The light of God's law, the, the sun of his glory, or the, the shining of his glory, is, exposes the truth. And the point of our confession is that at the end of the day, we live our lives before an audience of one. One. The all-knowing, the all-seeing God who has given the only point of comparison that matters his law which reflects him his nature and so we recognize and brothers and sisters right now we we confess together we confess the sin of trying to avoid that trying to defend our own pride and and we just recognize we can't deny it we're all ugly sinners We have nothing to offer to God. Whether you're rich or you're poor, whether you're a mother or a father, a single person, an adult or a child, a construction worker or a minister, we conclude the same thing. I have sinned. I am not worthy to be in the presence of a holy God on my own, my own strength. And as we confess that, as the law makes it clear, our eye is, is cleared up. And then when we look in the mirror, we say, There is a person who needs serious help. He cannot do this in his own strength. I cannot do this in my own strength. Oh Lord, my God, my entire life depends on you. I am dependent. When we see that mirror, we say, Is this what God sees? My hands are empty, my, my heart is rebellious, my mind is frail, my, my soul is worthy of damnation because I am inclined to hate God and my neighbor. God's law reveals that we are imperfect sinners. It takes a lot to get to that point, brothers and sisters. It, gets, it takes a lot to, to recognize that sinfulness that you really have nothing to contribute to your own salvation. But it does explain a lot of things. Then we realize why we actually do these things that we do not want to. Then we realize why we often just cut God out of of our struggles. We think, uh, he's too holy for that. I can do this. The law tells us that the struggles come because of our sinful nature, our inclination to hate God and to hate our neighbor. The law tells us this, and, and we see it, and it's not the mirror's fault. It's our fault. The law is not to be blamed for showing the truth. We don't throw out the law, we get down on our knees. And every Sunday in this church we read the preface to the law, the preface that reveals who gave us the law that he's a covenant to God, that he's gracious, that he's just, that he's patient. And then the commandments reveal who we are, and then we we recognize that that our sins and that list of our sins and rebellion it grows long. The goodness of God and his grace and his mercy to undeserving sinners, as we read in Deuteronomy as well, stands beside our sins. And in this huge contrast, we can see the grace of God. Because he wants to live in a relationship with us. How how can he do that? Why would he want to do that? Why does the holy and just God take interest in me? Does he really know who I am? thanks to the mirror of the law, we know ourselves well. And then we realize how gracious God is to us. That moment, that aha moment, it needs to live with us. Just like it happens in a marriage, we become accustomed to one another. We sometimes begin to think that we're pretty good husbands or pretty good wives and we start noticing problems in the other person. We feel that we deserve a person that is better than our own husband or our own wife. Then we talk to somebody who asks us to describe some of the, the good things, the talents, the abilities, the good things of our husband or our wife. It also asks us to, to make a list of what we're like, some of the unhelpful things, the unkind things. Have you ever said something that's unloving? Just put it all together. With that list in your mind. Just stand in front of a mirror. Just stare. Stare at yourself. And when you see yourself, you'll see the person that your husband or your wife has to live with. And if you think your husband or wife is, was unworthy of you, look at who you are. In a similar way, but in a much more cutting way, God's law heard and reflected on regularly. It forces us to do this. We stay humble before the Almighty God. We stay humble before our neighbor. If you feel that you could actually probably get along quite well without God or without His Son, Jesus Christ, look at who you are in the light of God's holy standards. Just stare. Meditate on his law. Think about it. And then you see, brothers and sisters, just as a husband or a wife with their eyes open, will see how gracious, how merciful their husband or wife is and how patient with them. But when we see ourselves in that mirror of God's law, wow, the grace of God to me I'm wicked. I keep turning away. And there he is. He still loves me. In Article 23 of the Belgic Confession, these are good confessions to read, to reflect on regularly. It's language of the heart. The church says, therefore, we always hold to this firm foundation. We give all the glory to God, humble ourselves before him, and acknowledge ourselves to be what we are. We do not claim anything for ourselves or our merits, but rely and rest on the only obedience of Jesus Christ crucified. His obedience is ours when we believe in him. You see how the light of the gospel shines even brighter when we know who we are, we confess further in Article 26 that when God gave His Son, Jesus Christ, to us as a sacrifice for our sins, we confess we, He knew very well that we were sinners. He knew very well who we are when He sent His only begotten Son to die on a cross to pay for all our sins. He knew that we could do nothing for our own salvation. Nothing. That we would even continue to fight against him after he revealed his salvation to us. That's, that the sins of confession that we still make as believers, we're telling God, we're still rebelling against you. He knew that. He knew very well who we were when he sent his son. And even so, we call Jesus Christ our Savior. Now we see perfect love, perfect holiness. There's more for us than just sins in a fallen world. And that moment of dependence, confession of our weakness, that moment of throwing ourselves on the mercy of this God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, it's a moment of passing from death to life. It's a complete salvation that does not depend on us in any way but completely on the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. That, brothers and sisters, is the sweet salvation that we can experience in our lives when his law is real. when we listen to God's law, when we compare it to ourselves with diligence, brothers and sisters, see your sins. Confess them and hate them. Sometimes hating our sins is the hardest part. Rather than going through that grieving process as we leave them behind, as we part with them, when we change our habits and we change our lives, we're very tempted to just cover them up. We can see them. But we don't easily hate our sins. But when we do this, the question is, have we trusted completely in Jesus Christ? When you hold on to something, it's like holding on to to something. Sometimes maybe it's hard to remember, but in the winter you would go sledding with your friends, and everybody would be sitting on the toboggan waiting to go down the hill, and one child would hold on to the bush or something, and the toboggan wouldn't go down. That's a holding on to that that little sin it keeps you from, from going along with all that we have in Jesus Christ. So if the law exposes it, confess it so that you can move forward completely in all the work of obedience of Jesus Christ. The gospel is he did everything for us and in our place. He loved the Lord his God with all his heart. With all his soul. And with all his mind. And He loved his neighbor as himself. And you can put your name there as the neighbor he loved. If you believe in him. His obedience is our obedience. And whoever hears the law. And recognizes who they are but then thinks of Jesus Christ, will be thankful forever from the heart. So when you meditate on the law day and night, meditate on the one who obeyed the law for you, Jesus Christ, your Savior. It is true that we are filthy and dirty, but when we flee to our Lord Jesus Christ and and we show him all our dirty spots and wounds without hiding some of them, He washes us completely. He covers us with the robes of his righteousness. For in him, as we will sing in Psalm 19, we are cleansed, we are blameless, we are free, we are wholly innocent. Praise our Redeemer, our Rock, and our Defender. Amen.